Well, good morning. Good to have you all here this morning. I hope you had a, a great Christmas. And uh, just remember, now, sometimes after Christmas, we get the Christmas blues. It's kind of like, oh, it came and went so fast. But just remember that if you're in Christ, every day is Christmas, right? We celebrate the birth and the second coming of Christ every day. But it is the end of the year, and generally toward the end of the year, kind of between Christmas and New Year's Day, I begin to think about the past year and just ask myself some questions. You know, what kind of a year was it? Did God accomplish in me and through me what he wanted to accomplish? Or was I slack in certain ways? I begin to kind of examine myself. And I uh, think about the new year coming up. And uh, sometimes I'll sit down and and pray and ask the Lord, Lord, what, what should be some good goals for me this year? What would you like me to be involved in? How can I grow in you more? How can I impact more people for the kingdom? And I might write a few of those down and just pray over them. And of course, all of that is the Lord willing, right? We can't just say, well, I'm going to do this, this, and this, as James says. We have to do it if the Lord wills it. So, but generally at the top of my list, I've got the same goal every year. Number one thing I want to see God accomplish in my life is I want to become more like Jesus. Whatever the others follow are really not as significant as that one goal, becoming more like Christ. He must increase and I must decrease. That was our theme last year for our trip to El Salvador. Well, today, that's what I want to talk to you about, becoming more like Jesus. But specifically, I want to talk about becoming more like Jesus by putting on forgiveness. So I want to kind of lead you through and eventually come to this whole area of forgiveness and talk about how do we put on forgiveness, how do we put off unforgiveness, and what kind of an impact does that have on us in terms of growing in Christ and becoming more like Him, okay? So let's pray and ask God to speak to us. Lord, we've come this morning because... We want to hear from you, and we desperately need to hear from you. Holy Spirit, open our minds to truth. Open our hearts. Search us, O God, and know our hearts. Try us, test us. Know the things in our life that, that need to be put off and the things that need to be put on, and show us those things today. And Father, help us to rejoice in the forgiveness that we have in you and help us to be willing then in return to share that same forgiveness toward others. I ask and pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So you know, the Bible tells us in a number of places to examine ourselves or to consider our ways. And uh, let me just read you from Lamentations 3.40. Lamentations 3.40 says, Let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. So at the end of each year, I attempt to do that, and I do that by asking myself a number of questions such as, How is my relationship with Jesus? Is it growing? Do I love him more or love him less? Have I been spending adequate time in the word and in prayer? Am I being a good steward of my time, talents, and treasures? Have I shown my wife and kids and grandkids the love of Jesus? Am I reaching out to my extended family and friends? 
Have I cared for my brothers and sisters in Christ? And in what ways? Am I biblically healthy? How am I biblically healthy? How am I biblically unhealthy at this moment in time? And how does the Lord want to change me in 2019? What habits do I need to begin? Or perhaps what habits do I need to forsake? And whose help, besides the Lord, whose help am I going to need to make these changes and to be able to stay committed to them? Those are just a few of the questions that I ask myself at this point in the year just to evaluate and to ask the Lord then to help me to press on and becoming more like him this, this year. One of the Bible passages that spurs me on in this regard is Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. And Grant shared this a couple of weeks ago, but it's such a good passage, you could share it every week and be okay. Here's what it says. It says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Now, who are those witnesses? Well, it's the people of Hebrews chapter 11, the great chapter of faith, and all of those men and women who exercised great faith and how they ran the race and persevered kept their eyes on Jesus. That's the great cloud of witnesses that we have. And you have personally a great cloud of witnesses, perhaps parents and grandparents, aunts and uncles, or you know, older cousins, or people that have just God's brought into your life that have run this race before you, and they kept their eyes on Jesus and showed us how to do that. So as we consider that, it says, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. If you were to go, see, life is not a sprint. Life is a marathon. And so if you're going to run this race of life and you're going to do it with endurance and perseverance and grit and just keep going, you know, if you're going to do that, you wouldn't put on a football uniform. You know, you wouldn't be carrying weights with you. You would shed all of that stuff. You would get rid of all of that stuff so that you could run your best and you could endure and keep going. And so there are things that we need to put off, we need to lay aside. And then another key is looking to Jesus. New American Standard says, fixing your eyes on Jesus. You have to know where you're going, folks, if you're running a race. Now, in a marathon, you may not be able to stand at the, at the starting point and see the finish line, but you can picture it in your mind, those 26.1 miles or whatever it is. You have to have an end in sight, a goal that you're running toward. And Jesus is the goal. He's there at the start light with you. He runs with you, and he's the finish line. He's all of those things. But you have to keep your eyes fixed on him. If not, your eyes will be on something else, and they won't lead you to accomplish that purpose of becoming more like Christ. So we look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So if you remember what Grant talked about, who for the joy set before him went to the cross. Jesus is our example that when we're running the race with endurance and obstacles come up, testings come up, difficulties come up, the wind comes up against your face, whatever it might be in your life that's kind of holding you back, your eyes are on Jesus and you know by looking at his life that he endured. With the Father's help, he made it through. And so he is our example, and we fix our eyes on him, knowing that as he saw joy after the race, 
we can also see that joy even when things get tough in our own race. Now, in my own thinking, there are three things that, that you have to do to apply this passage. In order to really live out Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, I think there are three things that we have to do. First of all, we have to put off the old self. The old man, the fleshly man, the sin that still remains within us, we have to put those things off. And then we have to have our mind renewed in the truth of God's word. We have to review the gospel over and over and over, God's goodness, God's grace, God's generosity toward us in Christ to keep renewing our mind in the truth. And then we have to put off the old man. So put on the new man, put off the old man. That's accomplished by renewing our mind in the truth of God's, and that's how we're transformed. Those three things. Here's what Ephesians 4, 22 to 24 says. Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, if you will, turn to Colossians chapter 3. New Testament book, past the Gospels, past Acts, past First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Paul was writing this to the church at Colossae. And I want to look at that here as we examine this, because you see Colossians 3 shares those same three things, the put off, the put on, and renew your mind. It shares those, but then it gives examples of what those things are you put off and examples of things that you put on, okay? Now, 1 and 2, Colossians 1 and two, 3, 1 and 2, give the basis for the putting off and the putting on. So look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. If then, which really means since, since you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. We are, if you're in Christ, then you have been raised up, and Ephesians 2 tells us that we've been seated in the heavenly places in Christ. Our life is hidden with Christ in God. You're still walking this earth, but the real you, the positional you, is already in heaven with Christ because you've been raised up and seated in the heavenly places, Ephesians chapter 2. So if that's where you really are, if that's your home, then those are the things that you focus on, not on the things of earth that are temporary. You focus on the things that are heavenly and eternal because those are the things that are going to be with you forever and ever and ever. That's the basis for why we put on the things of Christ and we put off the things of the world because the things of the world are deceitful, they're corrupt, they won't last, they'll cause you pain, but the things of Christ are glorious. And that's the basis. So go on to look at verse 5 now. Let me just kind of walk you through some of the put-offs and the put-ons. Chapter, verse 5 says, Put to death, in other words, put off, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. In other words, another way of saying, put off these things now. 
put off anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. See, we're in this process now, this process where we are being renewed day by day, being more conformed to the image of God's Son, becoming more like Jesus. And Paul promises us in in Philippians 1.6 that the work that he began in you, he's going to finish it. Now, we determine how quickly that happens. I mean, we can either be a willing, joyful participant in this sanctification process, or we can dig in our heels and make it tough on ourselves. But believe me, if you're a child of God, and God the Father is your Father, then He delights, He loves you, and He loves you so much He will discipline you to make you like Jesus because that's His ultimate purpose for you. Isn't that glorious to know? Anybody got your heels dug in right now? I'd lift them up a little bit if I were you. So verse 11. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. In other words, it doesn't matter who you are or what side of the tracks you're from or where you live. This is true for everybody. That if you're in Christ, you've been raised up, seated in the heavenlies, and he wants you to live that way. And guess what? He's given you the power to do it. <laughs> he hasn't said, lift that 500 pounds and doesn't give you the power to lift it. What, it. what God calls us to do, he empowers us to do. It's not you. God's doing it. All you have to do is have a sign that says, Lord, whatever it takes to become more like Jesus. He wants a willing spirit, a humble heart, a willing spirit to recognize you haven't arrived yet, that there's still some pressing on that you need to do. Some some being conformed to Christ is still happening in you. The work is not completed, but you're pressing on in Christ. All right, verse 12. Here's some put-ons. Put on then as God's chosen ones. Oh, my goodness. If you're in Christ, you're in Christ because God chose you. God didn't have to. He didn't have to choose any of us. But in his mercy, he did. Before the foundations of the world. And because we're in Christ, we're holy and beloved. Now, folks, that's, that's beyond anything that we could ever ask or think. We're chosen. Because of that, we're in Christ. Because of that, we're holy. And because of that, we're in the beloved. And because of that then, because of who you are in Jesus, and because Jesus is in you, and the Holy Spirit abides in you, and he's changing you to become more like him from one stage of glory to another. Because of all that, he says, have compassionate hearts. Put on kindness. Put on humility, meekness, and patience. Anybody in here praying that you'll grow in patience this coming year? You guys really shouldn't have raised your hands. 
I'm, I'm sorry to say that, but Lord, help them. That's all I can say. Lord, help them. Verse 13, we're to also put on bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So, this morning, for the rest of our time, I want to focus on, on verse 13. I want to focus on forgiveness. So let me read that one more time. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. See, we could talk about each of these areas of how we put it off and the things that we should put on. But I'm just choosing one this morning because I think it's an important one. Because I think many times we, we lack the growth that God wants us to have because we have not put on forgiveness. We perhaps have not fully received, and at least maybe not on a daily basis, the forgiveness that we have in Christ. And so what you don't have, you can't give. You can't offer to somebody else what you haven't received. What you don't possess, you can't give to others. And forgiveness is a big one. And so I want to focus on that this morning. So here's the definition of forgiveness. Forgiveness just means send away. When God forgives your sins, your transgressions, your iniquities, your shortcomings, all the ways that you miss the mark of God's perfection, when he forgives you, he sends those things away. In other words, he removes them from you. It's as though you've never sinned. I should be seeing more smiles. I'm telling you, you guys are taking this weight. I mean, this is glorious. All right. So listen to Psalm 103 that uh, we heard from Lael just a few minutes ago. Verse 11 and 12. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as east is from west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. So just remember, forgiveness just means God sends our sins away. They're gone. Here's a couple more verses just to remind us of God's forgiveness toward us. Malachi 7, 18 and 19 says, who is, God, who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot Lord, you will cast all of our sins into the depths of the sea. Get these pictures. He, casts, he removes our sins as far as east is from west. He, he casts our sins into the depth of the sea. It's like he takes our sins and just kind of holds them behind his back as if they're not even there. And then this is what Peter said in, in uh, Acts 10, verse 43. Speaking of Jesus... The apostle Peter said, To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Through Christ we have our sins forgiven. Through Christ our sins are sent away and remembered no more. 
So on the basis of God forgiving our sins, God asks us to forgive one another. Again, the verse in Colossians said this, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. It says almost the same thing in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. It says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. God's saying, look, I've forgiven you every single sin, every single iniquity, past, present, future, through the cross, through my shed blood, through Christ, those sins have been put away. And so he says, as I have forgiven you, so you must forgive others. You see, when God forgives us, he sets us free from the burden of our sin. When we forgive others, he sets us free from the burden of others' sins. The bottom line is, God wants to set you free from the burden so you can run the race with endurance and perseverance and joy. Whatever comes your way. But forgiveness is the key. We've got to receive it and we've got to give it. And when we do, God sets us free to become more like Jesus. Now let me give you some more statements that sort of define what forgiveness is and what forgiveness is not. Because sometimes we just kind of wonder, okay, simple definition, yeah, forgiveness, send away, but let me hear more to make it a little more practical so I can apply it to situations in my own life, okay? So here's some. First of all, forgiveness is a choice. It's a decision of your will, and it's not based on feelings. You don't have to feel like forgiving someone. You just have to make a choice, a decision of your will. I do choose to forgive. Feelings sometimes come later, after you've already made the decision to forgive someone. Secondly, forgiveness is a matter of obedience to God. We're commanded to forgive. And true forgiveness is from the heart. It's not just lip service. I mean, just like, you know, when you're raising kids or grandkids, you might say to them now, you know, tell your brother that you're sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> sort of in that tone. I don't think so. I'm not, I don't think that was coming from the heart. I just didn't feel it. Try it again. I'm still, okay, I'm sorry. No, I don't think it's working. It has to be from the heart. And forgiveness is choosing not to hold someone's sin against them. You're choosing not to hold someone's sin, the offense, the way they hurt you. It's choosing not to hold that against them any longer. And forgiveness is letting go of the right to give, get even. It's letting go of revenge because God says, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. In other words, when, when you let go of the right to get even, really what you're doing, you're not, you're not letting the person off the hook. You're just putting them on God's hook instead of yours. That makes sense? Because your hook lots of times is not just and fair and pure and all those things that God's is. He knows how to deal with you, and he knows how to deal with me. We don't. We don't have that wisdom. We don't have that insight into the souls of people, but God does. And he's just, and he's fair, and praise God, he's compassionate and merciful and loving and generous 
and patient. Now, here's a few things that, that forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not forgetting. You see, you may still hold in your mind an offense or an abuse or something that hurts you. You may still remember that, but that doesn't mean that you haven't necessarily forgiven the person. It's, it's, it's not forgetting. In other words, if you say, well, I keep, I, this keeps coming to my mind, obviously I haven't forgiven the person because I can't forget it. Well, God's omniscient. He doesn't forget your sin, but he still forgives you. Forgiveness is not denying the sin against you. It was real. It hurt. You're not denying what took place. Forgiveness is not condoning the sin. It's still wrong. It's not right. You're not condoning it by forgiving someone. And this is very important, especially for a person who might be in a tough situation. Forgiveness doesn't mean that you live with ongoing abuse or that you trust a person. Trust is earned. Forgiveness is given freely to us by God, and so we, we give forgiveness freely. But it doesn't mean you continue to live in a situation of abuse or that you trust the person. It just means you've let them off the hook and you've put them in God's hands, and I'll show you why that's important. Now, let me talk about the consequences of not forgiving others. And I'd like you to turn to Matthew chapter 18, please. I want to talk about some consequences of not forgiving. Just to give you some more, a couple more reasons here on why it's important. I'm going to start with Matthew 18:21, and this is the parable of the unforgiving servant. Many of you will be familiar with this. Uh, Jesus had just discussed how you handle uh, sin in a church, a congregation, a group of Christian people. In the previous verses prior to this, he says, if, if someone sins against you, go to your brother, tell them the sin, and if, if they receive it, then you've won your brother. If they don't receive what you've said, then take another person or two along with you, and if that doesn't work, then tell the church, and if that doesn't work, then you have to stop fellowship with them. All right? So in that context, then Peter says in verse 21, Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Now, I think the, the Pharisees and others had taught three times, so Peter thought he was really up there in terms of his righteousness and holiness. Should it be seven times? And so Jesus says, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. In other words, always, always forgive. There's not a time when you should not forgive. Again, it doesn't mean you continue to take abuse. It doesn't mean you trust the person. All those things I went over. But we are to always forgive. And then he tells this story, verse uh, 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents Probably in today's economy, billions of dollars, all right? Most of us can't even fathom that. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. 
So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. This is a picture of what God is like with us. We have a sin debt that's so vast, so great, it could, it could never be accounted for or paid for. The only thing that can happen is for us to come and fall before the Master, fall before the Lord, and say, Lord, forgive me. Have mercy on me. Just like the tax collector in the parable in Luke 18 where he was beating his breast, have mercy on me, God the sinner. That's all we can do. And here we see this master, God himself, forgiving the debt. In other words, he let it go. He sent it away. How would you respond if you had such a great debt that you owed somebody? Suppose you owed somebody billions of dollars. And you were, you were in a, a culture where you could be sold, your kids, your wife could be sold, your kids, everything you own. In other words, your life completely destroyed. And it would have been just and fair because you owed that amount. And yet, a person forgave you that debt and, and wiped it away. I think it'd rock your world. I think it would change you. It should change you. But look at the response of this servant. Verse 28. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Now, a denarius was about a day's wage for a common laborer. So this, this man owed him about a third of a year's salary. That's not insignificant, by the way. I mean, if, if I asked you today, put a third of your year's salary back in the offering box? I, I didn't say that. I just said, if I were to say that to you. Thank you. Thank you, Don. I mean, that would be a significant amount, would it not be? I mean, if somebody owed you that amount, that's a significant part of your living. So we're not talking about something that's insignificant in itself, but it's insignificant compared to billions of dollars. You see that? See what I'm talking about? The sins that people have committed against you, the hurt and the pain and the offense that has been rendered to you by others, it's not insignificant. But compared to how often we have sinned and rebelled against God, it's nothing. So the point is, if God's forgiven us such a great sin debt, should we not be willing then to forgive others something that's much less? That's the whole point of this parable. So, the hundred denarii, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him. Same thing he pleaded before the master. Have patience with me, and I will pay you. But he refused, and he went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. 
Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And the answer is yes. (laughs) The answer is yes. Look at the consequences. And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. You know, here's an interesting thing that I only just saw this morning. It's funny how when you've studied a passage for a long time, and then all of a sudden you read it again and something just pops out. Back in verse 30, Uh, It says, he refused and went and put him in prison. The man who the money was owed to took the debtor and put him in prison. But then because of his refusal to forgive that man, then he was put in prison. He was in bondage. You see, the reason you forgive a person... Yes, it's a blessing to them for them to understand. And they're seeing an example of God's forgiveness when you forgive a person. But the person you're really setting free and keeping from being in bondage is yourself. And that is the beauty of forgiving another person. You're free then to press on in Christ and to become more fully like him. While you're in Matthew, go to Matthew 6. Take a Louis. Go back a few chapters to Matthew 6. Jesus is teaching his disciples about giving and fasting and praying. And so then he says in verse 9, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed or holy be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, listen to this, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. In other words, God, forgive me in the same way that I forgive others. Got to watch what you pray. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And here's the consequences. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now let me make this clear this morning to make sure you don't leave here thinking you're in big trouble. You may be, but this is not talking about a loss of salvation. It doesn't mean that God's forgiveness toward you in Christ is reversing Him saving you and bringing you to life. No. It's just saying that when you're un, when, if, you're, if you're a forgiven person in Christ here this morning, you're secure in that. But if you're unwilling to forgive another person, then guess what is broken? Your fellowship with God. Because the Holy Spirit's going to be grieved and quenched. And when that happens then, you're a branch that's, you're like a branch that's been broken off from the vine. And you're not going to bear any fruit until you're willing to confess your sin of unforgiveness, make it right with that person and forgive them from the heart, and then God connects you back to the vine 
and the life of Christ and the Holy Spirit begin to flow up through you and then you bear fruit in other people's lives for the glory of God. How can you do that? You can't. How can you truly forgive? You can't. But if you've received God's forgiveness, then through the power of the Holy Spirit, you have the power to forgive. Because it's not your love, it's not your mercy, it's not your grace or generosity or any of those things. It's God's. You're just allowing His mercy and grace to flow through you, His forgiveness to be extended to another person through you. That's how it works. Anybody ever heard of Corey Tim Boom? All right. Corey Tim Boom uh, was a young lady who lived in Holland during World War II. The Nazis had occupied Holland. And uh, Corey and her mom and dad, her sister Betsy, uh, they were strong believers in Christ. And they had a love for the Jewish people. And as you know, the Nazis were not very kind to the Jews. And they were rounding them up and putting them in concentration camps and they say about 6 million Jews died during World War II at the hand of the Nazis. So they were hiding them and helping to smuggle them out to other countries. And eventually they were, they were found out. And so they were sent to concentration camps. And I think, uh, as the story goes, Corey and her sister Betsy were separated from the mom and dad. The mom and dad eventually died. And uh, Betsy died, basically, of starvation and sickness. She was kind of a frail person. So during the, the concentration camp, she died. Corey, uh, a few days before the war ended, actually there was a clerical error, and she was released um, by an error of some type. And so she, she left and survived uh, the concentration camp. Well, uh, Corey went back to Holland, and a few years later, 1947, she's coming to Germany, and she's speaking at a church, and she's talking about forgiveness. She said that's what the people of Germany need the most. They need to know that despite the atrocities that happened at, at their hands, the Nazis' hands, to all these Jews and other people in, in, the, in Germany, that they could find forgiveness in Christ. So after speaking about God's forgiveness, everybody was sort of filing out, and an older gentleman came up, made his way you know, through the crowd going out, and finally came up to Corey, and uh, he said, I, I heard you mention that you were at Ravensbrook. He said, I was a guard there. And of course, as he came up, Corey is recognizing him. And it says in, in her um, memoirs that as he came, every, she would see him in the gray coat he had on and the brown hat, but then every once in a while she'd get a flashback and she would see him in his blue uniform with his soldier's cap and uh, the weapons and, and the, the stick at his side and all that kind of thing. So he's coming forward. He finally comes up to Corey and says, uh, Fräulein, thank you for that encouraging message. Uh, I, I was a guard at Ravensbrook, and he didn't recognize her, but she recognized him. And she said, it was just so good to know that I became a Christian uh, a year or two ago, and it, it was so good to know that all of the things that I did to people have been forgiven in Christ. But he said, Fräulein, I know God forgives me, but I'm just wondering, will you forgive me? And so he reached out his hand. And Corey said, it must have just been a few seconds of this battle going on in her mind, but it seemed like <laughs> a long time. 
And she thought, I must forgive him. I've been speaking on forgiveness. I must forgive this man, but I don't want to. He basically was part of the system that killed my parents and killed my sister right in front of me. We were abused. We were ill-treated. We were shamed in so many different ways. How could I forgive this man? And yet she kept thinking about the forgiveness of Christ. And so finally, as the story goes, she reached out her hand. And as she did that, she said she felt a current begin in her shoulder and work down through her arm. And as they clasped hands, there was a warmth that flooded her whole being. And she says, I forgive you. Sometimes it's difficult to forgive the people who have sinned against us greatly. So how about you this morning? Have you received God's gift of forgiveness through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ? Because I, as I mentioned earlier, you cannot extend to others what you do not possess. You have to recognize that you are a sinner in need of a Savior. That your sin debt is too big to pay by yourself. It can only be paid by a perfect sacrifice. And that was paid by Jesus. Shed his blood for each of us that we might know God's forgiveness. If you haven't received that, you can do that right now in the quietness of your heart. You can say, Lord, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. Come into my life and save me. Forgive me. Give me a new heart. Make me white as snow. And then the question I would ask you, if you've done that, are you willing to forgive others? Are you willing to put on forgiveness in 2019 and to put off unforgiveness and bitterness and revenge and all of those things? Because in order to run the race with endurance, to have a joy in your heart, to produce fruit, you have to put on forgiveness. Let me ask you one more question this morning. Who do you need to forgive? It might be somebody from 50 years ago or 20 years ago or two years ago or two days ago. But who do you need to forgive? My wife reminded me of the verse this morning in our city group, uh, Psalm 139, 23 and 24. It says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my wicked ways and lead me in the way everlasting. Sometimes we have to give God permission to, to search us, to shine a light in our soul, and to reflect that back to us, to let us know, are we, have we been harboring something for so long that it's just become familiar, and we've lived with unforgiveness for a long time. And you're wondering why this pursuit of Christ, why you're not growing or why you're not finding joy. Forgiveness sets you free. 
It's why God forgives us and why he wants us, because he wants his people to be free. So you might be sitting here today and just thinking, well, if you knew what this person did to me, you wouldn't be asking me to forgive them. And I guess I would just say to remember the words of Jesus as he hung on the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. If Jesus could forgive his executioners, And Jesus was a man without any sin debt. And yet he was treated this way and he forgave people. All of us with such great sin debts, surely if Jesus could forgive his executioners, we can forgive people who have hurt us. Ask the Lord to help you. Because as we do that, then we can say with the Apostle Paul, Brothers, I do not consider that I have become fully like Christ. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Forgiveness makes that possible. Let's pray.